everyone. Welcome to GradCast, the official radio show and podcast of the Society of Graduate Students here at Western University. My name is Monica Molinaro. And I'm Vicki Telios. And tonight we are joined by a very special guest. Do you want to introduce yourself? Uh, my name's uh, Dimitri Pananos. I'm very happy to be here. Yay! <laughs> so we're very excited to collaborate with Dimitri. He currently hosts a podcast known as Two Broke Grads, which is the perfect segue into our segment tonight because we're going to talk about finances. Exciting yet daunting, I <laughs> yeah. think. <laughs> I don't know if exciting is the adjective that I would use to talk about finances. It probably isn't. Yeah, got too little, a little bit too excited. <laughs> I'm really proud of you for like making, trying oh, to make thank it exciting, you. Thank you. <laughs> Before we get into that, though, I want to ask Dimitri first, tell us a little bit about the podcast that you run. Uh, sure. So I, um, I run the podcast with my uh, Twitter friend, Chelsea uh, Pelleridi. We, uh, at the same time last year, went through some financial struggles and were complaining to one another about how much they suck. And, uh, you know, we just, I kind of threw out there like, hey, wouldn't it be funny if we just made a podcast about money? That's such a millennial thing to do. Right. <laughs> and then we did. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. Yeah. It's working out, I hope, right? Yeah, yeah. We've nice. got a couple couple of episodes on like iTunes, or I guess iTunes doesn't exist anymore. Uh, <laughs> Apple Podcasts. Ah, right. So um, yeah, so it's a, it's a good time and, and a good way to blow off steam. Awesome. We'll continue to plug that at the end of the episode as well in case anyone's interested in listening. So we'll plug all the social media handles uh, towards the end so that everybody can be reminded to go and listen to it. Right. Great. So just to start off, I pulled off some stats from the internet. Um, we will start off with our favorite topic of millennials and how 50% of millennials are moving back home after university. I'm sure everyone has heard of this statistic. And another study even noted that 60% of master's students and 55% of PhD students say they're stressed about their finances. Do we agree? I'm surprised it's only 55% of PhDs. Right? What are the other 45% doing? Are they not stressed? Do they all have external scholarships? <laughs> that must be nice. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I'm not too sure. So... In general, I guess what I want to say is finances affect half of the graduate school student population. Um, I like to think that it might be more than that based on my experiences and talking to other people, but half is a decent amount. And it's surprising because when I talk within my own program, I don't necessarily talk about finances to other people. So I don't know how well everyone else is faring, right? So it's sort of an underground, well-kept secret of what someone is making in, in grad school and that sort of thing. And it's kind of hard to talk about. I think uh, so. I was about to say, yeah. do we think that talking about finances is as taboo as talking about things like imposter syndrome or like mental health issues in grad school? Oh, that's a really good question. Mm -hmm. I think it, I think it is actually. Yeah. I think, and it, it's so strange that it is so taboo because like prima facie, like we should be making all the same, right? So it shouldn't be that much of a surprise unless you're like, you've won an external scholarship. But I'm really surprised that when I bring up money with other grad students, it's such a touchy, touch and go sort of subject. Right. No one really wants to talk about it. Like I, I feel like I want to talk to other people to see, you know, how am I measuring up sort of with other people to see, am I getting the right amount? Am I getting cheated? Should I be getting more? And I feel like if that conversation's not there, you can't, necessarily fix the problem of your financial struggle because I know a lot of other people who have talked to me and said you know they've talked to their supervisors and they've managed to you know compromise or come to a solution about their finances and I didn't know that was something that I could do and try to like you know compromise my uh, the salary that I'd be getting or the stipend that I'd be getting in my PhD and I didn't know that was a thing until I talked to someone about it so I feel like it's definitely something that should be brought up way more often within our own 
graduate or academic setting. Right. I'm wondering if there's a competitive nature to it. Like people are a little bit worried to disclose if, you know, they're concerned that maybe they're not making as much as their peers and that's considered something that's maybe a little bit more embarrassing or maybe some people are making more than their peers and don't Mm -hmm. necessarily want to reveal that either. Yeah, like I could see that as well. But I feel like to identify a problem, we should probably talk about it, right? And if there's no talking about it, there's no problem to be identified, right? So I think this is why this episode is so good, because we're bringing to light all of the financial difficulties that one may experience during grad school. And I feel like it's something that people should know when they get into grad school or if they're experiencing troubles during their graduate studies. So it's definitely something that it should be brought up more often and brought up between your peers just to see if everyone's on the same page or what can be done differently. Yeah, without without judgment, right? Like, we can bring this up totally freely, yeah. Right, definitely. So maybe we should start with that then. Do you two feel like you're open with your peers about your finances? Is that a topic of conversation that you engage with? So for me, I like to engage in it. I sort of feel out the room. I want to see if any other people are willing to talk about it as well. Um, If the conversation does come up, though, I'm not necessarily shy to talk about my, my financial you know, sort of breakdown of what's going on with my stipend and that sort of thing. Because I, I'm curious, too. I want to see what other people, what sort of packages other people have and whether it's along the same lines or if someone else, you know, has it better, to put it that way, or worse, and to see why that would be. Or if it's an institution problem, if it's an educational problem as a whole. So trying to solve the problem in that sense, I, I do like to talk about it. Yeah, I'm pretty open with my uh, with my friends, uh, my graduate student friends, about how much I earn and sort of what work goes into earning that money. And it's not a sort of way to like flex on them or something and be right. like, I, I make more than you or like I'm not trying to see, I'm not trying to keep up with the Joneses, so to speak. But rather, I, I just want them to ma- to get what they, they're, they're worth, right? Like we have a very particular set of skills and those skills go for a you know, certain rate in, in industry. So I wouldn't want my friends to um to be sort of shortchanged um, undervalued. Uh, undervalued that's right. exactly that's a better word for it yeah wouldn't want them to be undervalued so yeah I, I bring it up pretty freely and we discuss it um pretty freely um over beer yeah Very nice. <laughs> i think that's a good way to do it yeah, yeah. would you word. Would you say that, um, at least for me in my experience, I've noticed that when I speak to people that are outside of graduate school about the finances within graduate school, there's sometimes a misconception about your position as a graduate student and whether, like, as an example, doing a PhD as the three of us are, um, if a PhD is considered still being a student or a job. And I think that's, I know that there's a misconception because they don't understand why I'm getting paid in the first place because I'm a student. That's something that I hear quite often as well. And I'm like, you know what, the amount of roles that I do as a PhD student, especially so I'm in a a wet lab sort of situation. So I not only work on my own work, but I, you know, mentor other students. And I also, you know, take care of upkeep of the lab and that sort of thing. And, you know, all these things add up that I guess a normal student wouldn't necessarily be doing. So there's other roles to just my studies. And I think that's probably one of the places where the misconceptions may stem from. Because I'm not just, you know, working on one project or on my PhD solely. I'm also doing a whole plethora of other things that, you know, come together into 
me getting paid <laughs> at the end of the day. Right. Yeah. I feel pretty strongly about this. Whenever when somebody says like, "Oh, how's school?" I mean, "Oh, do you mean work?" Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. No, I feel that. Yeah. Yeah, because like the 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 stuff that I do and the value that I generate is something that a student like uh, like an undergraduate student just couldn't do, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I view my role as a as a as a job, and I I. I, I sort of look at the things that I generate as like value for not only my supervisor, but the department of which I'm a part, and as well as the university, right? Because when I'm at conferences or when I'm publishing in in, in journals, um, it's going to say, you know, my department and and the school at which I'm affiliated, right? right. So um, mm-hmm. I think when viewed from that lens, um, it makes sense to to call it a job. Um, but when I'm at the grocery store, I'm definitely a student. <laughs> <laughs> right, we can pull out your student card as right. best you can oh, yeah. to show everyone. <laughs> Need that 10 to 15% discount all Yes, the time. please. <laughs> right, discounts everywhere. Um, no, and I totally understand that as well because at the same time, the relationship that you as a student have with your supervisor as well, they know you for four to five plus years, right? So it's more than just a, you know, a teacher or a supervisor and a student. You develop some sort of work relationship and they see you sort of as equals, right? You're, you're so, a collaborator. Exactly. Yeah. We are collaborating on a day-to-day basis and, you know, and make certain decisions together on upkeep of lab and, you know, bring in students and their projects and that sort of thing. So I do also see it as work as well. And it's it's a lot of work, a lot more work than you know, a nine to five job because you're also working all around the clock and yeah. it's not an hourly uh, stipend or that sort of thing, right? So it, it gets stressful. Yeah, and it <laughs> yeah. makes me think, as you're saying that, it makes me think mm-hmm. of the skill set that's required to do your right. PhD in regard mm-hmm. to project management and mentorship mm-hmm. and administrative duties right. and conceptualizations of these mm-hmm. grand projects or studies that you need to take on mm-hmm. in addition to potentially other positions that you're taking on, whether you're taking mm-hmm. on other research assistantships or a teaching assistantship or mm-hmm. taking on just side jobs at that point and being able to manage and coordinate all of those things at once, mm-hmm. that's work <laughs> at the end of the day. And I do want to bring up, because you did mention side jobs, do you think it should be you know, commonplace to have a side job while you're doing your PhD? Okay, hold on. What can we start by defining what a side job is? A side job is you are making money from something that is not related to your schoolwork. Okay, so like a non-academic position. Yes, and I'm not going to count TA. So I'm not counting TA as a side job. Um, So your PhD stipend and TA don't count. External from the university? External from the, yeah, that's a better way to put it. External from the university. Should we have? Do you think it's commonplace? Do you think it should be commonplace? Well, I was going to say overall, I do think it's commonplace. When I think about my friend group, I think every single person has a job outside of the university just to make, Mm -hmm. you know, additional spending money. Um, But we just talked about how much work a PhD is. Like, where can you even find the time for like a four hour shift at Starbucks? Exactly, exactly. And I also personally feel guilty doing that, too, because if I'm doing work somewhere else, I'm not working on my thesis. Oh, that's that's very real guilt. Very real. It's at least when I'm at home and I'm sitting on my couch, I'm thinking about my thesis. And I, and I can <laughs> say that I'm still doing work. Yeah, but... no, I'm brainstorming for my thesis. Yeah. But if I'm actively doing something else, I can't necessarily say that I'm working on my studies or my school and I feel guilty about it because, you know, I'm spending all this time and I'm paying tuition to go here and I'm setting my sights elsewhere to make money. And I don't know, I, I do feel guilty about that. 
That's why I haven't done it. (laughs) (laughs) I think that guilt is just interladen almost in being a PhD student. Like the last time when we were talking about Mm -hmm. imposter syndrome, like I don't think there's anyone that doesn't experience guilt. Maybe not necessarily even in reference to work, Mm -hmm. period. But I think we would I think we would experience that a lot more. If we had side jobs, if, if we had will. side jobs, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but should it be commonplace? Do you think? Do you think it's something that PhDs should be encouraged to get? Well, that's a really tough question. Right, that's something I've thought about for a while, and I'm not too sure how I stand on that. I think okay. I think if the universe, I think if a department were to come out and say, "Hey, we really encourage you to mm-hmm. um, to get it to get a job like uh, like a barista or, or, or a waitress or something," right? I think that's almost. Um, um, like a, a conflict of interest mm-hmm. because you want you you've brought this person in and you've offered them some sort of financial package to be here right. and to dedicate their focus onto mm-hmm. um, onto whatever project they're working on right and so to then say oh by the way we're not going to give you enough to to really focus on that no, we we suggest that you get an, another job mm-hmm. I, I, th- I think that just comes kind of, kind of comes off of um, yeah, like a conflict of interest. Yeah, right. and it seems a little bit indifferent too, right? Because yeah. you're bringing in a person who's supposed to be working actively for you and bringing, you know, certain, like you said before, attention to your lab or your yeah. environment and the university. And then at the same time, you're saying, but you can also devote your your interests elsewhere into getting more money because we're not going to pay you enough for you to bring in a certain amount of um uh, attention to this project, right? right? So there's a little bit of conflict there, I think, and mm-hmm. it might come off as indifference for the PI if they were to suggest something like that. And I wouldn't feel as motivated to work on my own project if I was told that I should also get a job elsewhere, right. to be honest. I think it's tricky yeah. to navigate, and we're only still speaking about it on terms of like a living wage level. We're not even talking about mm-hmm. some of the duties required of us in terms of going to conferences or paying publishing I, fees. I like, have a big <laughs> problem with that. How to file a travel expense form. <laughs> that is the biggest thing oh that gets gosh. on my nerves because it's the type of thing where I have to put the money up, up front mm-hmm. and I might not get a reimbursement until two to three months later. And so rent is accumulating two and three months and you know, X amount of money, maybe a thousand five hundred dollars, if it's a really large conference, is just out of my bank account, and I haven't seen that reimbursement for a long time. So, of course, eventually they get back to you, but that delay between when you pay and when you actually receive the money is so substantial that I find I'm stressed. I'm very stressed between the two, two or three months that I don't get that reimbursement. This is actually a really good point that <clears throat> that was brought up on a on a Twitter thread um, that. Um, sparked uh, two broke grads. Oh, yeah, it was okay. really, really <laughs> I don't though. know if I'm thinking of the one you're talking about. I may about. have seen something similar, yes. Uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, this is such mm-hmm. a, a huge problem and something that I think we've all experienced mm-hmm. if we've had to travel for, for conferences. Right. I mean, between between accommodations mm-hmm. and getting there, flights, um, and, and cost of food sometimes, mm-hmm. um, these these bills can sort of come up to anywhere between 1000 and $1,500. Mm-hmm. And on some of the stipends that graduate students get, like it's very difficult to save that up. So it's oftentimes that you're putting it on your credit card and if you're waiting a month and a half, two months, now you are probably accumulating late fees, it's a hit to your right. credit. Yeah. Um, and so even when you get that money back, you still come out um, with a loss. Mm-hmm. Yes, you're right. in the red. You're still yeah. in the red. Yeah, because it seems like a net zero to the university and to everyone else who sees this reimbursement. But yeah, it does come out as red and it hurts me. Yeah. <laughs> it hurts oh, me when absolutely. I file them. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So so um, quick question. Mm-hmm. How do you think that that could be, do you think that that could be handled better by departments? So 
I'm thinking about the Twitter thread that you probably saw as well. And I remember something that was mentioned that was, you know, when you get paid, you should get the reimbursement immediately. Or when you pay for the conference, you should get paid for the reimbursement immediately, even Mm. if you haven't already gone to the conference, as long as you have proof that you've submitted an abstract or something right. it should be enough to get the reimbursement so like here's my receipt can yes. i have my reimbursement now? exactly yeah, okay yeah. because at the same time i'm holding on from these receipts for around two to three months and i paid you know the membership fee and the registration fee which are two to three hundred dollars most of the time for conferences and i've held them on for like two to three months and what am i doing with them nothing right. i'm holding on to them until after the conference is completed so i can submit the form but at that point, I've already spent that $500, and right. I haven't seen anything for it for upwards yeah. of, like, five months. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it gets tricky, too, because you could say that your abstract was expected, and this is what the planned budget is going to be, mm-hmm. right? And I can understand how departments would be weary about just handing over the money. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know. It's such a delicate balance. I think reimbursement times need to be a little bit shorter. But then mm-hmm. at the same time, I wish that the money was just taken care of up front so that this wasn't yeah. something that we need to stress about or worry about taking a hit to our credit, which mm-hmm. might already be bad. I'm thinking like a lab credit card. Why can't everything just be expensed on something mm-hmm. like that? Right. And That's actually really smart. Because yeah. it's going to come from the speed code or whatever anyways. Right. Why does mm-hmm. it have to originally come from my bank account? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So. And I'd yeah. be happy with not even like you don't even have to take care of the whole thing but if you took care of just the flights and i took care of accommodation mm-hmm. and got paid you know uh got paid later like exactly, that would that yeah. would still be a, a huge help definitely. right so you don't need to take care of the whole thing but i would definitely appreciate some some help at least you <laughs> well, know what I mean? like and a compromise yeah. and for some of us like we have credit card limits so mm-hmm. we can't even accommodate all of the fees that at we would once, need to pay for yeah. in advance because our credit cards just won't allow it that's what i'm so. thinking like i I have to stagger when I pay things. If I'm right. paying for the Airbnb, I won't get the flight the same month because right. I know my credit card just won't handle it because it's just too much. And it's too sort much. of a vicious cycle, right? Mm-hmm. Because you you get you you you're not paid on time, which affects your credit, which mm-hmm. means uh, you know which affects how much credit you can get on that card, and and it's a vicious cycle, right? Yep. Yeah. yeah, definitely. Did you guys see the tweet recently? Mm-hmm. Um, it was about conferences. It was that um, some conferences in Instead of charging grad students the registration fee, they'll let the students come for free, but in return, the students have to do unpaid labor, like set up the microphones, run things for faculty members. That is something that I have There are conferences heard. that do this. So I was just wondering what you're... This was very recent. Like, it right. honestly came out within the last week. Someone mm-hmm. tweeted about it. Um, and I was just wondering what your perspective was on it. Like, would <laughs> you be okay with having some of your fees taken care of or completely waived in exchange for essentially being, I want to say, not necessarily a volunteer, but like the fees are getting waived for you doing the duties that a volunteer would do. So setting up equipment, calling on new speakers, getting like is people that, into different rooms. Is that a job? Can I put that on my CV? Because is like the membership fee, the two hundred and something dollars that I would have paid, would that have been my salary for setting up the equipment and right. doing is, all of is that? Is the hourly yeah. wage like the same as that right. what you're saying? Yeah. Oh, okay. Does it does it translate over? I I don't know. It just seems like unpaid labor to me. Well, that's what I say. To be Both honest, of you yeah. have visceral reactions yeah. as I was saying. It did I don't, not look very positive. I don't like it. Yeah. yeah. Something rubs me the wrong way. <laughs> yeah. Something rubs me the yeah. wrong way about it too. I, I feel like if I go to a conference, I should be presenting and 
in an academic demeanor. Mm-hmm. Like I'm, I'm a scientist, and, and here's the work that I'm presenting, and and, and right. that's what I'm, that's what I want to be at this conference. I don't want to be the guy who rushes you into the next room, yeah. Or is well, and introducing another speaker is something different, but I don't want to be like mm-hmm. I don't know, serving coffee or something. Yeah, yeah. So um, I don't want the first time that a scientist sees me is doing you know maintenance work around the conference, and after sees me at my poster, and they're like, oh, is is this the same person? You're also doing the work here, right? You know yeah. what I mean? So. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I don't like it. Do yep. you like it? <laughs> I don't know. I, I decided to read the comment thread on right. this um, yeah. because the person that originally posted this tweet was not impressed with this model. Fair. Um, yeah. You know, and they thought, you know what, if graduate students are expected to go to these conferences, present at these conferences, and then have these things on their CVs to be competitive for other aspects, whether it's for scholarships or for jobs, mm-hmm. you know, it seemed like a very weird trade-off to make them do all of this unpaid, yeah. if you will, labor that kind of almost Mm -hmm. devalues the work that they were going to present. Um, But then there are other people in the comments being like, yeah, but this is a great opportunity for grad students that may be able to attend conferences that they wouldn't have been able to attend if the fees were in place or if the fees weren't waived. So it became a matter of like opportunity versus cost. Because a lot of the arguments were like a lot of grad students, depending on the registration fees and if you have to pay membership fees and things like that, if that right. all gets waived, they now have the opportunity to go when they may not have had the opportunity to go before. I don't get why it has to be a, a trade-off. Yeah. yeah. yeah the, I, I don't, I just don't understand. <laughs> yeah. I think it's almost like a false dichotomy. It's like yeah. the student pays or the student doesn't pay, but like what about the department paying? What about the PI paying? Yeah. Like what about, you know, any other number of other possible solutions to this? It doesn't have to be one or the other of those two. Right. Yeah, no, I, I totally am on board with that. I, I don't know. It rubs me the wrong way. I'm not a fan. No. Hopefully this doesn't become more of a thing because, I, I don't know, it feels like you're devaluing the student's work when there are other ways you can probably go around it than having the student come and do work for you to figure out your conference instead of actively going around and looking at different posters. So are these students at the same time, do they not get the chance to go see as many you know, posters or talks as they would have. like to network. Yeah, yeah, because they're too busy doing work for the rest of the conference, right? Mm-hmm. So that's a bad trade-off in that sense. So I, I don't know, would they get the same thing out of that conference as if they just had paid the membership fee or the registration fee and they went as they, they would have normally? Right. I suppose the devil's in the details, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So I'd like to I'd like to throw a question out there. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of the conversation about money has been like really bleak lately, yeah. um, and and people sort of like wince when we talk about it. But mm-hmm. like, imagine somebody came up to you and said, you know, how much is renting groceries for a year, and then just cut you a check. <gasps> like, how much? Like, what would that? How would that change your quality of life as a graduate student, and how might that affect your academic work? So I'm going to bring up something um, okay. external scholarships in that sense because. If you think about it, when you get an external scholarship, they say that you're making more money, right? right? But at the same time, the school also gives you one lump sum at the beginning of the term, uh, middle of the term, and then for the summer term as well, right? Oh, do they? I've never won a scholarship, so I, I wouldn't know. I, okay, I'm thinking, I will disclose yeah. that I won an external scholarship, and that is exactly how I get paid. Yeah. My scholarship gets uh, split into three segments, right. if you will, yes. and I get paid those segments as a lump sum at the beginning of each term. Okay. And to be quite frank with you, I don't necessarily like that just because I get all of the the money at once. And, and then, then you're I have like, to, I'm going to go blow all this cash. And then I have to <laughs> ration it throughout the, the rest of the months. And I, I don't trust myself with that as much. I would rather get, you know, a regular monthly stipend. And I'm going to bring another point for you Fair in the point. fact that 
with graduate studies in general, I don't necessarily see the consistency that I would like in in the stipends per month, just because it's very difficult for me to sort of estimate what the next paycheck would be because things change between, you know, the fall and winter terms and then the summer terms and And how many hours you're working. Exactly. Exactly. Right. And that switch. And although they'll say you get X amount of money throughout the year as a Ph.D. student or whatever, you don't necessarily see the same amount of money per month. And so right. there are some months where you're struggling, and then there's other, other months where you wish you had had that extra money right. to bring back to the months where you were struggling, right? So if I had gotten a check <laughs> that gave me all of my rent and groceries, I would like it. But at the same time, I would like consistency in my life. Yeah, consistency yeah. over. Yeah, yeah I agree. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I think overall, when I think about that perspective, I think many more students would be more productive in the work that they're able to do I think more students would be finishing within whatever their funding period is because that's a vicious cycle itself right is that you get a certain funding period but you still need to work side jobs or something of the sort for spending money or for rent or for groceries which then ends up prolonging the work that you're doing which means that you then run out of your funding bracket which then means that you're paying for more out of pocket like yeah Mm -hmm. It becomes a very vicious cycle. So part of me is thinking, you know what, like if I can maintain what I'm doing right now without that, what I might do if someone were to cut me a check, I would take that money and invest it and have a nest egg when I'm done graduate school. Oh, that's that's actually brilliant. Brilliant point as well, because um, at the end of a piece, like if we're if we're working on these graduate stipends and we finish on time, you know, fingers crossed, (laughs) um, then comes the problem of um, moving. Right. Because. Mm You might find a job in another city, and that has expenses in and of itself, right? You'll need to, you'll need to, you know, probably get a truck to move all your stuff. Mm-hmm. You'll need to first and last, um, and uh, and it's very tough to accumulate all of that money uh, on a graduate stipend. Um, so that's yeah, true. that's actually a really good idea. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks so much. <laughs> I'm glad I could come up with something that was relatively decent. I just think if I'm able to maintain what I'm doing without that extra money, mm-hmm. then mm-hmm. I would want to continue on that path of maintaining and just right. move away. Right. Maintenance right. and not live above your means. Yeah, exactly. Right. Because I know, honestly, yeah. if someone were to hand me that money and I had all that extra money, there's no guarantee that I would be fiscally conservative. I feel the exact same way. I wish I was more fiscally conservative in which I could, you know, partition that and make that I think more that's so another consistent. undervalued skill that just comes with doing graduate school is right. learning how to budget. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. That's something that no one has really touched upon within all of my years of schooling. And it it's kind of a wake up call when you get to here and you, you realize you have to you have to figure out how much money you're going to spend for drinking beers and going to the movies or doing something else and you know like well, and entertainment that's the other thing. Yeah. when people tell you to budget they're like well just cut out eating out cut out going out cut out you but know I, cut out all the fun stuff right? yeah right. but like could you do you think you could survive graduate school without doing no. any fun things? oh my no. if, if a phd <laughs> meant that i couldn't have like a cold ipa on a warm day i don't think i would do it no like count me out. I yeah. am good. I don't need that PhD. I need that. And I don't think IPA. anyone wants to promote that kind of lifestyle yeah. either. At the yeah. end of the day, because right. everyone's like, look, doing a PhD and doing graduate school mm-hmm. is really hard. Like we expect you to take breaks. We want you to take breaks. Yeah. So, I need it for my mental health. <laughs> we yeah. Were, we talked about <laughs> mental health way. the last time. Like, I need to have those breaks and that sort of like entertainment fund in order to, you know, sort of take myself away from the work that we're doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's not as easy as yeah. just cutting. No. No, it's not. No. Um, so I'm just going to quickly talk about the social media updates that we got 
okay. just based on um, what our listeners, followers, viewers thought about our financial episode. Okay. Um, so we asked the question, why is it difficult to balance finances in grad school? And we got a whole host of answers. Um, one answer said, less time in grad school and therefore you opt out for eating out more than you would in undergrad and that's what we were talking about before you know eating out we're paying more money for these external sources rather than figuring out our own groceries and that sort of thing and that makes sense right um another one which is uh one that we didn't mention is grad students in general are typically at the age of getting married or having an independent mm, family. I didn't oh. even think of that. No, yeah, so we are getting old. <laughs> <laughs> Don't remind me. <laughs> yeah. And some some of us might have families that we need to take care of, and obviously this graduate stipend is not going to be enough, right? So that's something that definitely needs to be taken into consideration, especially if you're a more of a mature student in that sense, right? And... One final question that we asked, too, was what can we can be done to ease this financial stress? Um, like we said before, setting an attain- attainable budget and as well, TAing and finding other part time jobs, which I don't necessarily like in that sense, but it does help in mm-hmm. terms of getting more pocket money. Right. Well, right. let me ask, in your time as a graduate student, have there been t- tips and tricks that you've learned to help with budgeting? I mean... I like the <laughs> the Tuesdays off or the Tuesday specials that you get at the grocery store are, you know, they're really good in that okay. sense in terms of saving some sort of money and going to not the high end grocery stores. So in London, I know there's a lot of Sobeys, Loblaws, that sort of Loblaws thing. Loblaws is really expensive. It's very expensive if you compare it to No Frills or Food Basics, which has the same type of food. I won't die if I eat that food and it's a lot cheaper. So that's also I think that's a good tip and trick. Getting, you know, not the super organic, high, you know, high advertised food, that sort of thing. And just stick with food basics. <laughs> I really hate this tip, but I'm going to share it anyway, is to eat less. So I would. Oh, no. No. But, but it, it comes from a place of rationality. Like I'm, mm-hmm. I'm sitting at my desk, so I don't need to have a cup of rice with lunch. Maybe I'll have half a cup of rice. Mm-hmm. Or I won't have an entire chicken breast. I'll have half a chicken breast. And I think that... That makes my dollar go a little bit longer and mm-hmm. uh, and keeps me a little uh, a little thinner. Um, so yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm although I'm not proud of that tip, that is my tip. Okay, there's I'm trying to think. I know sometimes buying frozen produce as opposed to fresh produce, right. you get yeah. a higher quantity for a mm-hmm. lesser value, and it is still just as mm-hmm. nutritionally dense as the fresh produce. And it doesn't go bad because the amount of food that I throw out because I haven't gotten to it is. Embarrassing. Oh, too much. Embarrassing. Every time I go through my yeah. fridge and I'm like, oh my God, I need to throw this out. Yeah. All I see is dollar signs yes. going into I'm my like, garbage This was $5 that I threw out, $10 that I threw out, and it just adds up and I don't feel good about it. And I feel like that's where most of my money goes into food <laughs> and the fact that I throw out most of my food and I don't get to eat it. No. So. Yeah, that's hard. But I think the difficult part, because I know some people will say, oh, look at different flyers and see where the sales are, comparative prices. Mm -hmm. And I think that's great. I have the flip app myself and I love it. And I love sitting through and like looking through flyers and seeing Mm -hmm. what's on sale. But I think it it uh, it can become problematic if you're a student that doesn't have your own form of transportation. Because then what are you going to do? You're going to bus around the whole city to get broccoli that's $2 cheaper at this one location than another (laughs) location that's like closer, like a half hour closer to your apartment. I can personally vouch for that. I live right across from a Costco and I don't even go to the Costco that much because I can't transport the material that I get from there. So it becomes, it's 
it's a hassle in that sense. And whatever is closer to to where I can, you know, transport my my food, it's going to be where I'm going to end up going. And if it's going to be the more expensive option, then that's what I end up doing just because out of laziness and LTC problems. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's hard. It is hard. I don't know. The only other trick that I can think of, and it's not really a trick, but you know Covent Garden Market. Right. Both of you. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Um, there's a bakery on the first floor. It's Petit Pre. Like, it's just a little French bakery there. Right. Every Sunday, all their leftover baked goods from Saturday, from the Saturday rush, if they haven't sold it, they sell everything for a dollar. I'm going to write that down. Oh, that is a good okay. tip. <laughs> so this is my little tidbit that I learned in my first year of my PhD because I went there on a Sunday and I noticed that they had just a shelf stacked with things that were a dollar. And I, when I asked them why, it's because they always prepare for a Saturday rush. So they always prepare a very large quantity for Saturday. Huh. And whatever they don't end up selling, it's still fresh. They right. don't want to throw it out. So they literally sell every single thing for one dollar. Maybe we should cut this from the podcast. I know. Sorry. <laughs> no one else know. No. <laughs> I want my scones. <laughs> no. So I will go, you know, every once in a blue moon on a Sunday because they also make very seasonal things. Mm-hmm. And for right. me, I love the scones that they make. That's fair. So yeah. you can literally buy, you know, five scones for $5. Any of their baked goods. So like cookies, things mm-hmm. like that. So cookies, croissants, things yep. like that. Literally everything is $1. Right. I will say you have to show up when they open because Fair. there are people in the city that know this deal as well. And I've definitely showed up right as they open. There's been a lineup. So huh. of like five people. And then like, right. you know, it's first come first serve. So mm-hmm. someone could be a complete vulture and just buy the whole case of scones and there's Jeez. nothing you can do about it. Right. So, I mean, I do appreciate that tip and trick. And do you think we should add some of these tips and tricks when we publish this episode? Yeah, definitely. So everyone else can sort of indulge in this. I know. Part of me is like, I don't want to share my scones. Right? But at the same time, I'm like, it's fine. But at the go same check time, it out. The you know, great. you can go downtown, you know, get away from your PhD stress and have a sort cookie. Of, yeah. Have a, cookie, have a cookie. Indulge in your entertainment lifestyle. And the yeah. cookies are big. They are definitely yes. worth more than a dollar. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so you can get full. You can eat less in that sense. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and <laughs> sort of amalgamating all the tips together. Yeah. Um, so I think we're out of time. <laughs> yeah, I think we ran a little bit over time. <laughs> we did. But. But, you know, we got all of our tips and tricks in there. We <laughs> yeah. managed to fit everything in. Thank you, Dimitri, for coming on to our show. Well, thank and you for having me. I'm going to plug again at Two Broke Grads Pod for your Twitter handle and PH Dimitri. That's where you can find That's Dimitri's all... personal yes. Twitter yes. handle. Please follow for hilarious statistics tweets. He does. He has great content. I should say I follow him. And <laughs> I feel like I favorite more than half your tweets. Because even if I don't understand it, I still find it relatable in some way. <laughs> so I end up favoring it all. Great, I thanks. like his yes. Twitter channel. Great. So what we're trying to say is follow it. <laughs> you won't be disappointed. Um, and where can you find your podcast? Uh, you can find it on um, Apple Podcasts. And SoundCloud. Awesome. Awesome. So, again, thank you so much for coming on to the show. My pleasure. If anyone wants to learn more about... If you want us to do a second episode on finances, because there's a lot of content that we just smushed into a very tiny episode, if you'd like to have Dimitri on again, let us know. Any feedback, we're very willing to hear it, and we're very willing to talk about it. Yeah. Let us know on any of our social media outlets. So that is at Gradcast Radio on Instagram, Facebook... Twitter. Twitter. (laughs) I know. I'm like all the social networks. And that's it. (laughs) Or you can email us at gradcastradio at gmail.com. And let us know if you like this episode. Let us know if you want another one, a part two, maybe. Um, But again, thank you so much. And this has been Gradcast, the official radio show and podcast of the Society of Graduate Students at Western University. If you would like to get involved with the show or get in contact with us, email us at gradcastradio at gmail.com. 
You can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at Gradcast Radio. If you would like to listen to us, we are on <laughs> CHRW 94.9 every Tuesday at 6 p.m. Also, you can listen to all of our podcasts on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Alternatively, select podcasts can be watched on YouTube at Gradcast Radio. This episode with our guest, Dimitri, was hosted by Monica and myself, Vicky, and produced by Greg. Thanks for listening and have a great night. Bye.